0: Hi, I'm Anthony Taylor, and welcome to season two of the Mental Fitness Podcast, the podcast where you're going to hear from a fantastic range of people about their personal stories and ideas on how to live a great life and look after your mental fitness while doing it. You're going to learn about resilience, emotional intelligence, how to identify our strengths and what we can do to support our good mental health. Here's a snapshot of what we've got in store for you this week.
1: We talk about limiting beliefs or self-image. Oh, I, I'm not a leader, I can't communicate, or, or I'm not good at doing big speeches, so I'm not a leader. You know These kind of limiting beliefs that can go on in our heads and it can hold people back. One of the things I wanted people to take away from it is that actually you can create your own leadership style that, that feels genuine and feels real to you, but it involves some flexibility. So how do I flex in certain situations? And that was the big thing. Because so I think sometimes we think leaders sit in a different box away from everyone else. And actually, they're just the same way as
0: athletes, just people. So I'm really excited to be bringing you Series 2. And I hope you join us throughout the entirety of this. And as ever, if you like the podcast, please give us a like uh, or subscribe to the show as well. It takes just a minute, but it's going to help the podcast reach more people. Okay, let's crack on with the show. So today I am uh, really excited to be talking to Tom Young. Tom is a performance psychologist specializing in team dynamics and leadership. Um, He studied initially at Lancaster University and then continued at Liverpool John Moores University, where he graduated from their globally recognized MSc program, In sports psychology. Tom has worked with teams and individuals at the highest level of professional sport, providing psychological support to organizations and individuals from the world of rugby union, football, boxing, rallying, track and field, and especially golf. Most recently, he has been part of the coaching team to the European Tour and Ryder Cup golfer Tommy Fleetwood and has worked as a consultant both to the Belgian national team ahead of the World Cup in Russia and the victorious and delighted to say European Ryder Cup team in Paris 2018. So Tom, welcome. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. No, delighted. delighted. Uh, so as regular listeners to the podcast will know, we always kick off with the same question, which is what does mental fitness mean to you? <laughs>
1: That's a really good question. It's nicely it's nicely phrased. For me, I think there's a couple of things to where my brain goes with that. So it's, I think for me, it's an ongoing awareness of the, the role that your brain plays, the role that your, your thoughts and your emotion plays in terms of how we, how we perform. It's not about being perfect all the time, which I think sometimes we can feel the pressure to be. It's not about always being mentally tough um, and kind of impenetrable. I think it's about knowing what you need at different times. So when do you need to reflect? When do you need to decompress? When are you in a great spot and you need to kind of ride that momentum? When do you need to share something? When do you need to be more vulnerable? When do you need to just pause? And, you know, it might be to reflect on your thoughts, to identify unhelpful emotions. So, really, for me, it's a personal thing. I don't think it's a blanket term that would mean the same thing to everyone or the same approach to everyone. And the second bit, I suppose, is like the, the fitness element to it. And I'm sure other people have kind of jumped on this as well. But in terms of fitness, we go to the gym, you go to the gym. On repeat, you go to the gym three times a week, two times a week, five times a week. Everyone does different things at the gym as well. And I think mentally, it's about doing that equivalent. So it's not about doing an hour a day, three times a week, but it might just be kind of five minutes here, five minutes there in terms of having that awareness in terms of the way that we think, what do we need? So for some people, it might be journaling. For some people, it might be the physical exercise side of it. It might be mindfulness and, and meditation and things like that. For some people, it might just be going out having a walk or spending time with with people. So lots of different things. I think it's a very personal thing. I think it's an ongoing thing. And I think it's very important that we don't put pressure on ourselves to be perfect because some of the people you just outlined in that interview, in that introduction, you know, there are times when they they have bad days or limiting beliefs crop up or things hold them back. So it's not about being perfect. It's about having that awareness of what we need and when.
0: Great answer to that. I think probably one of the best answers that I've had from people on the show, not to denigrate any other answers that others have given, but I just really like what you said about it's so personal. It requires a lot of degree of self-awareness and knowing that actually it's not possible to be at peak state all the time. We do need time to reflect and unwind. And when we're on a wave, great, ride it but like every surf will tell you that wave's going to come to shore at some point.
1: There was a great quote and it was from, it was over, I saw it on social media over the lockdown or well, just in the last few months actually. And it was from an article. It was written by another psychologist, I think. And um, it said, whisper it quietly, but we're not designed to high perform every minute of every day. So almost give yourself a bit of a break. And it's this, I think sometimes it's this narrative. You know, we talk about performance mindsets or winning mentality and things like that. And, For me, it's about finding that winning mentality or winning mindset or whatever this term we use for each individual because we all have different styles, we all have different strengths, we all have different blind spots. Well, what's my winning mindset? That might be different to a boxer or a rugby league player or a golfer. It's about finding their winning mindset and what that looks like for them, not all about – you know you just had the Olympics and you've got all the narratives going on from commentators and people saying, well, they're a winner, she's a winner – She's not a winner. You know, all that kind of stuff going on. But actually, everyone's on their own personal journey and everyone approaches things in their own personal way. So winning mindset, yes, but of a personal nature, I would say, um, specific to that individual.
0: Are there any examples perhaps from some of the people that you've worked with that you're allowed to share uh, from people in the world of sport that some of our listeners might uh, recognise the names that fit with what you've just said there?
1: Can't go into too much... Like detail on some of that, you obviously some of the names that you mentioned at the start, obviously I've been fortunate to work with some some great teams and some great individuals. I think there's a couple of things that always stand out for me. Some people come to you, you know, I think sometimes people reach for a psychologist when there's a problem. I think in team sports, traditionally, I think this is changing by the way, slowly, but now there's a more proactive approach. I think in the past and maybe from your experience as well, Quite often, it's like well, we've tried this, we've tried that. Oh, let's oh, last resort. Let's try a psychologist, and it's it's kind of can you save us from relegation? We've got four games left to go, that kind of thing, which is a bit of a hospital pass, I think, in uh, in many cases. So sometimes people come to you for a kind of a they'll make a big leap. They might be struggling with something. They might have kind of have a dip in form, dip in confidence, and it's almost about rebuilding that individual, and that that can start from looking at their, their goals, their purpose, their behaviors the people they've got around them their their mental framework in terms of limiting beliefs how they fill their time when they're not doing their sport so it's kind of a personal development journey which you know maybe some of some of your listeners will be on and i think it's an ongoing thing as well and then with athletes for me, You know, in team sports, whether that's kind of collision sports or or your football, which we can't call a collision sport, can we? Definitely not anymore. (laughs) Um, Probably never, but definitely not now. Um, I think quite often you're in that game and it's fast-paced and it's reactive and it's dynamic and you've got all these moving parts. So quite often with with players and with athletes, it's about how they think about the game. So how they think leading up to a game and how they think after a game. Um, And there is a bit in the middle, which is this chaotic bit that we'll, we'll, we'll kind of come to, but those two bits are really important. And I think we can take that into any kind of performance. You know, if you've got a presentation or, you know, you've got a conversation you're going to have or you have to do something at work, we're all kind of performing in our own ways. Um, how do we build up to that? How do we kind of plan it? How do we rationalize our thoughts and emotions? How do we kind of organize that? And then afterwards, how do we reflect on it? So, you know, there's the the typical questions, what was good, what needs to improve, what did we learn? All those kind of things, but also, the thinking traps we often fall into you know there's a lot of perfectionism in sport there's a lot of perfectionism in in, in lots of industries i think just in people where we're really tough on ourselves we're, we're kind of supportive to our colleagues and our friends but to ourselves we're we're not like that we're really tough on ourselves so we might take things personally we might catastrophize all these thinking traps we fall into so in sport a lot a lot yeah a lot of the stuff we'll, we'll look at is how do you think after a game you know as an example you might have a, a player got, oh, "I defended poorly today I was, I was crap, I was rubbish, um, these sweeping statements. And when you actually look at it, they might have lost their mark or they lost their the opposition player for one corner and they scored from it. So actually the, the reflection can be a lot different there. Not denying that there was a mistake made and something could be improved, but it's not about these big general statements. So how do we reflect afterwards is a big part of, of what I would do, especially in those team sports. And then there is obviously the performance element actually during that competition, during that tournament, if it's a golfer. So that might be, I don't know, I'm thinking of a rugby union player who might be a fullback playing under the high ball. Um, they, they've made a mistake. It's it's windy. It's, it's an evening game. It's a bit nasty. It's a bit kind of chaotic. And they've got to reset to be ready to do it next time. So that might be a little mental skill that they would do, whether that is, a breathing exercise, a very quick breathing exercise, um, whether that's regrounding themselves, kind of bringing themselves back into the moment. And then, say, with a golfer, you know, I've worked quite a lot in golf. And one of the examples there is, you know, I've been fortunate to work at the, a very high level in golf. And you get people in any sport, I think, when you get to that level, there is an element of mental skills already there. Um, a big part for me is the awareness, a little bit like we talked about the the definition of mental fitness. But when do I need to use this mental skill? Because the brain speeds up and when we're under a bit of pressure, we just want to get it over with. The brain kind of can take over like that. So when do I need to slow down? When do I need to have a better conversation with my caddy? When do I need just to put the club back in the bag and get the decision right before I take it out? The actual skill of doing that isn't that difficult. The awareness of knowing you need to do it in that moment, that's the really important bit. So for a golfer, that would be a couple of examples there where you can manage those critical moments during a tournament. And obviously, you've got a lot more thinking time in a sport like golf, which can be can sometimes be good. But in general, it, you, you know, you've got a lot more time just to be on your own. You've got no one else to bounce off like you would in a in a team environment. So quite a few different things there, um, and that they've all come up at different times.
0: Yeah, I think you've touched on a number of fascinating things. I'd like to dip into a bit. And thinking about golf and, and sportsmen, and I think how it relates to others us as well as there aren't you know elite professional sports people. One of the things I've, I'm a big believer on, and I've seen as well, is that you hear this term: you can't consistently outperform your own self-image. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. if you agree with that. And so we've talked, you know, talked a little bit so far about some of the the tools and techniques, the mental game when you're going into a game or when you're coming out of a game and or, or in the moment. But how important do you think is that bit about your self-image and working on that be- if you're a sportsman between games or if you're just like me in your day-to-day life because actually you can't consistently outperform your own self-image?
1: I, I would agree with that. I think you know that, that self-image or our, our kind of identity, if you will, of how we see ourselves, those beliefs that underpin that in terms of whether they're limiting beliefs, that kind of go, oh, you've never been that good at that or the, the kind of inspiring beliefs that drive us forward, go, oh, this is a strength of mine. You know, we end up performing in line with our expectations. I do think that's that's the case on on balance because, yes, there's an element of performing on a golf course or in a presentation or whatever that might be, but you, if you have an underlying belief that I'm, really, I'm not very good at presentations or I'm not very good from 150 yards and in or whatever it might be, and that's been built for – a large amount of time historically then you cannot just have a mental skill that overrides that you've got to tackle both the mental skill can sometimes be a bit of a, a sticking plaster at that point whilst at the same time you'd be tackling those those beliefs that build that self-image because who, who am I as a person and then who am I as a, as a golfer and I, to use that example and I think that's that's really important because the two aren't separate you know so I think some people are able to separate those but they're, they're quite rare. Um, and you can see that from athletes talking out a little bit more. But yeah, definitely. I think that self-image is really important. How do we see ourselves? What are the beliefs I hold about myself and what, what I'm capable of doing? Um, and that can work for you and against you. And I think sometimes you see that in teams, don't you? Like a team that will maybe overperform for a part of a season. And then by the end, they might have just dipped back to where we expect to see them. At the same time, they might underperform. You might think they're about to get relegated, but everyone thinks of them as a mid-table team and they might think of themselves as a mid-table team and lo and behold, win the last five games and end up 10th or something like that. So I think it works on a group level as well, but definitely on a, um, on an individual level.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think a lot of the time as well for us, we need to be mindful of where we picked up those beliefs from. And sometimes they can often be those people closest to us, your family, our friends, that can be oh you know you you're the tall one and you're the short one in my case or you know you're you're the, you're the, you know, I do my brother's a surgeon I sometimes get from people a bit older oh oh you're not the surgeon then you're the other one you know, so those that kind of language that we pick up on and absorb just has a big impact and I've like said often sets the beliefs about who we are and what we can what we can achieve.
1: I've got a, so it's a it's a daft example so it's not from sport it's not glamorous it's not exciting. But, and you can think about this as like parents as well. So as a kid, so there's, if you kind of, so our family, typical like two kids or whatever, and, um, as in when I was the kid. So me and my sister, mum and dad, dad good at art, things like that, um, maths, science, all those kind of things. And art is my example, right? So I'd be in the art class. In my head, I'm going, I'm rubbish at this. I can't do this and lo and behold my, my then marks wouldn't be very good and i'd bring that home and i go oh, i'm rubbish at and instead of going well why? you know why do you think that where are you going wrong what could you improve on all those kind of things and this isn't a criticism of my parents necessarily it's quite funny now but my mum would go oh well don't worry you're like me it's your dad and your sister who can draw and it almost like there's a line drawn down our family and you're on one side or the other you can or you can't draw to the point where I used to get used to get my gran to do my art homework and she was on that side of the family. She was like my dad's mum and she was amazing at, at drawing to the point where she would do my homework and the teacher would be like, Tom, fail, Mrs. Young, a star. So, so he knew, but then it's, I had to get to the point where I'd say, listen, just do it, but don't do it really well. Just kind of do it faint and then I'll come in and butcher it a bit and I'll get a B and then we're kind of in that, the right zone. So I'm improving, but it's not unrealistic, but and I kind of went on. And now, to this day, if I'm doing a presentation, if I, anyone listen to this, if they ever have me, <laughs> they will probably ask me to draw, right? But if someone asks me to draw something, I find it, you know, I do get a bit nervous about it because I've got that belief that you can't draw, you can't draw, you can't draw. Um, and that has then, have I ever tried to improve drawing? No. You know, have I ever put any work and read about how I might draw something better? No. Have I ever improved, therefore? No, which just reinforces that belief that I can't draw. And completely daft example, but if you think about that as parents, which a lot of your listeners will be, in terms of how we can kind of justify that or we can kind of embellish some of those beliefs or support those beliefs unintentionally by trying to be supportive, but actually we're building these limiting beliefs that can hold people back. So you're you're definitely right. They're historic and they come from the people that are closest to us at times.
0: Yeah, they do, don't they? I know I've got several examples. I won't go on about them. Several examples. On my own um and some of those where I tried to I was aware of that limiting belief and I'll be honest one was around money actually and when you're self-employed as you know you've got to get over that hang up around money and on what you're worth and asking for clients and chasing up invoices and then I'm be honest that cost me a few grand in in sales training and personal development work to overcome some of that limiting belief.
1: Yeah I suppose that's a good example of that mental fitness isn't it you know from, from your point of view in terms of you know that investment and and it's that, I think sometimes, okay, well, just don't think like that. Think like this instead. And sometimes that's people's perceptions of psychology. And actually, it's not a case of just going, well, that's the negative belief or that's the limiting belief or the, the irrational belief. Let's flip it. There is often a deeper side to that that you can't just do in, you know. Two you know, seconds. Yeah, exactly. And I think that sometimes there, there can be unrealistic expectations. And sometimes maybe psychologists are guilty of that as well. Maybe it feels like that. I don't know.
0: So if we have got... If we've got someone who has got some limiting beliefs or wants to, we want to improve and, and work on that self image that we've talked about. Where would you suggest we begin?
1: That's a big question, isn't it? I think, yeah, I think if they've already identified, you know, what is holding you back, but well, they might not know that at that point in time. Um, you know, you might have to get to know that individual, and help them unpick that themselves, and and come to that because quite often the the symptom might be, I don't know, I'm not kicking enough conversions or you know, in, in football, you've seen players like Jesse Lingard talk, speak out recently about like, the stuff he was dealing with and, and how that was affecting performance. So the performance is you're playing rubbish or you're not playing how we'd expect you to play. So that, that's your symptom. But underneath, there's obviously something else going on. So it can take a little bit of time and that mental fitness or ex- exploration, I suppose, for that individual. But kind of probably starting off with some quite big picture thinking questions. So around purpose, you know, around the qualities you feel you do possess. So whether that's values or whether that's attributes, you know, what you bring to the table in that case, where do you want to go? If you know that, you know, that always helps. If you think of that self-image, where do we want to go? Think of your example with money and things like that. And then why, what's my driver? What's what's kind of, you know, so many books about this, you know, start with why obviously is, is one that everyone will everyone will know. But that kind of, what is your why? We talk about teams quite a lot, but what is your personal why? And how does that work? So quite often I will start with that with a client, just in terms of those big questions because you're not getting into that kind of, I don't know, historical side of it quite yet. You're not getting too deep. You're asking quite big, non-threatening questions that are quite difficult for some people. And some people just go, yeah, this is them. That's my purpose. That's my values because they've already started that conversation. So I would start with that about them as a human being, whether they're a golfer or a footballer or a CEO or a sales manager, whatever, I would start around that and try to understand the different elements of of their lives so you've got your purpose. And then this is probably a bit of a framework that I would work on. Then you, you can start to look into kind of behaviors and habits, um, which we know there's a big link. So quite often people, they love that big picture thinking, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. That's my goal. It's like, right, what are you going to do tomorrow on, on that? What are you going to do? What are the little habits that are going to build towards that? So you can start to see some proactive actions. You know, people say, well, I'm going to run a marathon. But they've never put the trainers on and gone, gone for a run. So let's put our trainers at the front door. Or let's put our trainers in the porch outside the front door, whatever that is, to make those things easier. And then it really is start to underpick, what's that mindset around it? So what are the limiting beliefs? What might be holding us back? Where do they come from? Why do they hold us back? Asking those questions for me, one of the things, one of my blind spots as a psychologist is I'm quite fast-paced, so you want to help people. And sometimes that means you don't ask enough questions, you don't spend enough time understanding where that person's coming from because they're really the expert in their in their journey you're just trying to help facilitate that so that's for me that's something i'm constantly working on trying to calm it down ask questions listen a little bit better so really trying to unpick those limiting beliefs there and within that you've got your mental skills you've got things like resilience that people quite often want to talk about and i always say listen most of the time when you're working with people they can come up with times when they've been really really resi- resilient you know when something really bad happens quite often people go straight to that mode. What can I control? What can I do? It's the little things that often build up on us that aren't kind of, wouldn't individually class them as a crisis, but they build up and they build up and build up and that's when people crack. When there's a real problem, quite often people automatically, because there's almost no choice, and not everyone, obviously every situation is different, but go into that calm, composed, what can I do mindset. So starting to unpick those, those limiting beliefs and that's that period of self-discovery for that individual. Um, and it's not a case of just going, right, but well, don't think like this, think like this instead. There's more to it than that. And that can last for a, a number of weeks, months, and it can just be an ongoing thing where you're fighting those limiting beliefs. You know, I had someone say the other day, you know, ha- someone who was really perfectionist, so really high standards, um, never satisfied. All these traits that actually you, you see a lot in athletes, but at the same time, really tough on themselves and always very self-critical might hold them back at times from, from being proactive because they don't want to make a mistake and you say well how do I get rid of it and we like, well, don't want to get rid of it because if you got rid of it you'd lose all these strengths we just talked about but if we can get it less intense and we can take the positives and try and park some of those negatives then that's a really big improvement it's not about going from how do I get rid of it from zero to 100 Um, So I think unpicking those things and and challenging those beliefs is really important. And then I'd start to build it with people who's around me, who's in my corner. Like you said before, sometimes those beliefs come from um, the people closest to us and often unintentionally. Who's in my corner? How am I feeding those those beliefs? How am I challenging them? Where am I getting my learning from? And also then the development piece. So that this probably does fit into mental fitness. But what am I listening to? What am I reading? Who am I? You know, what podcasts am I listening to? Um, who am I speaking to? What am I watching at night? You know, I'm watching Love Island every night, or is there something else that I could watch? <laughs> um, we can all fall. We can all fall into that trap, though. You know,
0: I've got a teenage daughter, so that's what she watches <laughs> that's every night. all
1: the time. Yeah, um, but that's that's your that's a little bit of a framework we can start to underpin these things but I think because there's so many moving parts so some people will come to me and you'll work on all those areas and then you might have someone who comes to you and just goes I'm overthinking how, how can I improve that and you might do a couple of sessions so some people I've worked with for years some people it might be kind of three four five sessions and it kind of goes away just keep in touch so it's different for different people as well um, some of the best people I've worked with have, haven't had an issue they just go I want to get better want to understand this a little bit more. You're probably the same, like that kind of, they don't come with an expectation for a quick fix. They want to work on something and then just get just get better. They're already high performing, but how can they get a little bit better?
0: So much great stuff um, that you've said there. I'm going to go back and listen to this again afterwards and, and uh, yeah, really unpick some of that. You've also written a book, haven't you? The Making of a Leader, is that right? The Making of a Leader, yes.
1: Yeah. So that came out um, last July, actually now, which is a comp- I think it was last July, yeah, Complete Whirlwind. Um, and it wasn't a master plan to bring bring a book out. I think we, we said in our earlier discussions um, offline, it came from a lot of the work I did at John Moore's as part of do your master's, and then you've got to do this kind of accreditation as a psychologist, and part of that was a piece of research. And I wanted to do that on something that I was passionate about and interested in. And I'd always been fascinated in leadership, team dynamics, culture, all these words that we hear a lot about. So I just set about trying to get some interviews and I ended up getting a a kind of initial list of, um, really good contributors. So the likes of Roberto Martinez, Stuart Lancaster, um, Ashley Giles from, from England cricket. Um, and we kind of went through this process and then at the end it was an anonymous, anonymous piece of research, you know, participant A says this, participant B says this, although you could probably identify some of them from their backgrounds and, and how they were talking. Um, And it was Stuart Lancaster who actually said, I've read this, Tom. This could be a book. And I thought, wow, like didn't really plan on it being a book, but I've got all this raw data. That would be really cool to try and do that. And and that's what I did. It took me kind of four and a half years. And I added a contributor from the NFL, Dan Quinn, who was head coach at the Atlanta Falcons at the time. I added Sean Deich in there as well, um, which which was great. And they were all really kind of generous with their time. Um, And I set about... Creating this book so it really is it's a collection of their uh, reflections on leadership in in elite sport from a range of elite sports um team sports so they were traditional team sports that was part of the the kind of dynamic really that we were we were looking for and also one of the things i wanted to achieve with it i think sometimes you know you've got your your books on klopp when he's just won the premier league and the champions league same with guardiola ferguson these kind of you know, I think I've, I've heard the term unicorn leader, these kind of perfect leaders, which we know they're not, neither do they profess to be, but I think we build them up like that. So one of the things I wanted to, to, to kind of get across with this was these, these people are good, but they've all made mistakes and they're also all different. They're not all, they are, they're not all extroverts. They're not all risk takers. You know, they, they don't all have that charismatic leader approach that, that maybe we glamorize at, at times. They're all quite different. You've got Sean Dyche, I'd say he's pretty extrovert. You've then got Ashley Giles, who who talks in the book about actually quite introverted. And you can see that in press conferences and things like that as well, and the way they engage with people, but both been successful. So I wanted to get a kind of more gritty version of leadership from people who have had success, but also maybe perceived to have failed. So we, we interviewed Stuart before the World Cup in 2015 with England. And obviously there's been a real kind of unpicking of that since then. But then coming full circle, going back to Leinster, Getting back on the grass and coaching and being a big part of their success, and you've got someone like Johnny Sexton, their kind of superstar player at the time, texted him saying, "We want you to come," you know, and that kind of full circle approach. Same with Roberto, was at Everton, and then he found himself at, at with with Belgium, working with this golden generation, coming third in the World Cup, all those kind of things. Um, so that was that was the approach. So, yeah, it came out in July. Um, it's coming out in the States in, in October this year, which is which is exciting. But it, for me, it was really good to have that for my own mental fitness in lockdown, because it was something on the horizon you could kind of aspire to and work towards. Um, when there was a lot of, you know, a lot of times when you were kind of languishing a little bit. So it was great, great for me personally. And it was a real real kind of labor of love to be honest I think I think my kids shared me with that book for especially my daughter who's six I think she shared with me for most of her life that book I was coming out and writing in the evenings and weekends and all that so yeah it was a rewarding process
0: so if I'm um someone's in my career maybe I'm five ten years in maybe I'm sort of headed department type level why why should I get a copy of that book what can I learn from it what are two or three takeaways
1: I think it's real so it should be within your grasp. And I don't mean that, that sounds quite condescending now I've listened to that kind of back. But what I mean is that it, it, should be, it should be more gritty. It's based on real experience where we've had successes and failures, which is more representative, I think, of a lot of people's journeys and a lot of people's careers. I think there are, there are practical examples of how you, for instance, would deal with um, a challenging colleague or a challenging member of your team. How would you communicate with them? How you can challenge your own style a little bit in that. There's also a lot in there about culture and purpose and all the words we've kind of talked a little bit about and that side of how that can be misconstrued sometimes in terms of words on a wall. Oh, yeah, there are values, but no one knows them. So how do you actually create those values in a team? So Gary Kirsten, the South African cricket coach who was coaching India at the time when they won the World Cup and he talked about his contrasting approach. You know, He went from being quite um, maybe formulaic and quite, kind of all about standards to going in and almost trying to replicate that with India. They said it just didn't work because the culture was different. The team was different. And actually he set about going, you know what? None of that's going to work until I prove to them that I'm the hardest working person in this room. He set about doing it like that. So how we can flex our style to different groups, I think is in there. And also the role of finding your leadership style. You know, so we talk about limiting beliefs or self-image. Oh, I'm not a leader. I can't communicate or or I'm not good at doing big speeches. So I'm not a leader. You know, these kind of limiting beliefs that can go on in our heads and it can hold people back. One of the things I wanted people to take away from it is that actually you can create your own leadership style that, that feels genuine and feels real to you, but it involves some flexibility. So how do I flex to certain situations? And that was the big thing. Because so I think sometimes we think leaders sit in a different box away from everyone else. And actually they're just the same way as athletes, just people. And that would be one of the things that I would want to take away. But hopefully there's loads of examples for people in there as well.
0: I think I'm going to hit you up for a copy of that, actually. In fact, what I will do, <laughs> how would you be willing to uh, provide me with a copy that I could give away to someone who listens to yeah, this? Yeah, of
1: course, yeah. That, be a of that a bit Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, I actually went into Preston Waterstones and there was one on the shelf and I signed it and I thought, it's not quite the same this, it was a bit of an, an ego trip, I, I thought I'll just sign that and then my wife was like, they'll probably ring you up and ask you to uh, pay for that copy.
0: Yeah, because you defaced it. Defaced it, yeah. It. yeah. yeah. Brilliant, well yeah, I'd love to get a signed copy from you and we'll do uh, some kind of giveaway and get that out to a listener from it.
1: Yeah, that'd be great.
0: I think you're right. You talk about values. You know, I was one of those guilty parties. I spent 20 years in corporate comms as head of comms organizations. And we sit all in a room, a few of us, often sometimes with leaders, and we create these values, stick up on a wall and go, God, don't we feel good about ourselves? And actually they didn't translate at all into any. One of the things I've been working with an organization at the minute, and what I really like is they've got some values and there are only a few, which is good, but they've also got a list of the behaviors that support each that value and the behaviours that need to be challenged that go against that. And I think that's really interesting because they give that then that more depth of framework to actually, this is how we're going to behave. This is what that be- that value means. And this is some of the challenging behaviours we need to, uh, you know, behaviours we need to challenge. I think that's really important around that. I wonder what your thoughts are.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. I think, and it's very easy, you know, you said you, you were guilty of it. And, you know, I think, you're right, you go in with the senior leadership team, you get all these great ideas. And those people aren't going, ah, yeah, we'll just do all this for everyone. They're not consciously trying to create something that doesn't maybe translate across to the to the workforce. And obviously it depends on the size of your business. But one of the things straight away is to, so done something recently with kind of a, uh, like a local government, um, kind of a, a local kind of city council. So uh, miles away from sport in, in that sense. But actually about, Getting a real, and we did it on Zoom, which has its own challenges again, but we were trying to get a cross-section of the people that represent that workforce. So whether they're the champions, if we're going to use that word, that represent their department, but to get a real cross-section of viewpoints and it started off and we kind of went, well, these are the, the values we've got at the moment and no one knew them. Like no one had seen them. And I think it's a big organization anyway. So it's about how do we translate this across? And you're right. You said like they didn't have, I think in your example, you said they didn't have loads, which I liked. And I think sometimes we can end up with six or seven or something like that, and it's just too much because how do you keep them front of mind, right? So, so definitely three or four, maybe, whatever, having those headlines. But then what does that behavior look like? I think is really important. What's the example? And often in different departments, their little behaviors might be different. So we've had examples where those departments might come up with their own behaviors that, that translate to those values. But I think the, the other side of this is then, when we can be guilty of it, is then when we go into a meeting, we don't reference them. I'm not saying reference them every day, but we're talking about results. We're talking about outcomes. Um, we talking about performance. Fine. But we're, we're then spending 0 to 5% on values. So which is, and obviously we we're saying both are important. And actually they're, they're kind of interlinked, as, as we know, in terms of performance. But if we're not returning to those values in our conversations as leaders or as team managers or just as teammates, then they're not going to live throughout that team or throughout that organisation. So it's that referral to them, reminder of them. Um, So I did some work with the rugby league team. They already had their values. They just wanted to talk about them more. Were they in in the right spot for this season coming up? So actually they didn't end up changing anything, but they just wanted to look at them. And and this was a team that had won, by the way. So it was about resetting, but it wasn't about throwing it all out and starting again. It was just about talking about these, these values, keeping them front of mind, educating new players in terms of what that means and bringing young players into that group in terms of what that means as well. So that conversation is really important. And in the book, Stuart Lancaster, I think he said, you know, all that stuff that we talk about kind of pictures on the wall and what's the environment like, says that's the cherry on the ice and on the cake, but the culture and the values, that's your cake. You know, it's, it's all well and good doing all this stuff, but you need to have the substance underneath it. And I thought that was a really nice, nice example of that. So keep it front of mind. How much time do we actually refer back to these things? Do we put them on a the wall and then just talk about performance and results? Or do, you know, and, or do we actually go, right, who's represented this value? You know, So Dan Quinn and the Atlanta Falcons, you know, we've talked about who's, who's trained, who's represented our values this week, and it's not always going to be a superstar player. It might be a player who's not even getting on the pitch.
0: Mm.
1: And who's represented those values? How do we reward them? How do we highlight those examples? So I think things like that are really important with teams. Just to keep it front of mind.
0: I think that for me circles right back to the start of our conversation. You talked about mental fitness and your definition of it and um taking time to reflect, knowing when to and that you're right, we're so often, aren't we, in a a culture that in the West that is achieve, 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 do a a, do-a-do, be busy, be busy, be busy. We don't actually take that time. And I think it's a really good point for leaders is to take the time with your team, not to run on to the next thing, but to go, well. Let's look at our values. Let's look, take 10 minutes in a meeting to go, who's exhibiting this? What have we done? How is that working on our resilience? And ask those kind of reflective questions because it will pay benefits in the future.
1: Yeah, there was, I think it was Adam Adam Grant, psychologist over in the States. I think it was him or I saw it on his Twitter recently. And it was, you know, the real way of spotting the values of an organisation are what's rewarded and what's punished. You know, so... And that, that was a real stark example of it, summed it up perfectly for me. So, if we're saying these are our values, but we're rewarding someone who'll tread all over their colleagues, get the best performance and, and win, then that's the value we're really re- rewarding. I thought that just really summed it up for me in terms of that. So, what do we reward and what do we punish? And by punish, you know, we don't necessarily mean kind of in, in that true punitive sense, but what things aren't rewarded, what things aren't recognized in that way and celebrated and I thought that really encapsulated it the words on a wall but what are we actually then doing in our day-to-day behaviors and the leaders if they're representing them that's one of the things that came out of the book can I represent this group can this group of people look at me and think he or she represents me and I'm proud of them to represent me so that kind of social identity where the leader becomes part of that group and representative of its values if they're not doing that and then the leader isn't following the values it's very hard to then ask a new starter, a junior member of the team, a graduate, or even a middle manager or someone to then start representing these values if what they're seeing from above isn't the case.
0: So important. I'm working with um, with a drinks company at the minute and then you've got these values, but you, what you talked about there, there's no psychological safety with this group at the minute. They're not particularly big, but you've got the leadership of saying, oh, we've got all this and we've got this here, but actually that's not what people are saying. And what you said there really resonated what's rewarded and what's punished. And, yeah, so I've got a real self-awareness piece with these guys and, and girls to understand that.
1: Yeah, a bit of some challenging beliefs in there by the sound of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I say, it then goes down to that. If, if I say what's rewarded and what's punished creates that psychological safety. And if there isn't any, you're not going to have the collaboration, the drive, the results, because people won't, don't feel that they can come up with ideas or challenges without feeling some kind of view of punishment. And that kills teams, doesn't it? that lack of psychological safety.
1: Definitely. Definitely. You've got to feel you can speak up and be, be vulnerable enough that you're not going to get shot down in that sense.
0: So I think that's a real message for leaders, isn't it? What can they do to make sure they're creating that psychological safety in teams to uh, to do that? But you need that for trust, don't you? And you, need, you know, that's the that's the kind of foundation of any
1: any team, really.
0: Yeah, the Patrick Lencioni model, you know, the five dysfunctions of the team, the base one is trust down at the bottom, isn't it? So... Um, and that's what we've got to create when we're working with clients, isn't it? That trust, you know, we might have to deliver a difficult message. So we need to build that trust first and foremost.
1: Yeah. I think quite often when you're working with people, of course, they, they want to hopefully see that you, you're competent and you're good at your job, but they want to kind of have that trust or have that rapport that you, you build um, and see that you're, you represent your values. You know, I think that's really important. You know, we talk about this and, and, and hopefully helping other people on some of these things, but actually doing it ourselves, that's definitely something in, in kind of lockdown that I've let, let slip over time. Um, and I've had to have times where I kind of bring myself back to it, start reflecting on where I'm at, where have I fallen away a little bit? What thinking traps have I fallen into? Because just because you, you work in this field of development and psychology doesn't mean you're perfect at it either. So, so one of the things for me in, in, in this period has been making sure I'm kind of listening to my own advice, which at times I haven't been. Um, and I, I'm okay with that because I think that just makes you just, just like more, more authentic. Um, yeah, yeah, more <laughs> authentic, but actually giving you yourself the time to then work on that. Because if you can't do that and look after your own mental fitness, how are you then supposed to authentically help someone else do that as well? Right. So that's definitely been a period of
0: for,
1: for me where I've kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit in that sense. I think like we all have.
0: Yeah, it goes back to that saying, isn't it? We teach what we need the most. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard that before. Yeah. Uh, we coach and teach what we need the most. But Tom, you've uh, it's been an absolutely fascinating conversation. I've really enjoyed talking with you this morning. And I know uh, lots of people are gonna get tremendous value from it. If people want to connect and find more, where can they where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so my, my website is cognite.uk.com and on social media it's Tom underscore cognite.
0: And that's across all the platforms, Twitter, Instagram and Twitter and Instagram. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And obviously on LinkedIn, Tom Young, you'll find me.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much. Well, looking forward to getting that copy of the book signed. Of yeah, course. no problem. And uh, we'll get that out. We'll find a way of doing a competition around that. And we'll get that out to somebody, some lucky, some lucky listener. That, that'd be great. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Well, I hope you enjoyed that absolutely fascinating conversation with Tom. I know for one, I'm going to be going back and listening to that a couple of times. There are lots of gems that he said in there, particularly in terms of a couple of takeaways I wanted to reflect on. I really liked Tom's thoughts on what mental fitness meant, particularly around an ongoing awareness of the role that your brain, thoughts and emotions play in how we perform. Uh, And also he talked about it's about not being perfect all the time and not always being uh, mentally tough. I think that's really important but knowing what you need at different times whether that's to take a step back whether that's to push forward whether that's to to reflect um and I think that's really interesting and I really like you can sum up all of that in that quote that he talked about in terms of whisper it quietly but we are not designed to highly perform every minute of every day and I think so often we try and do that don't we I think the second thing for me that Tom mentioned was about spending time on working on our own self-image and the fact that we can't consistently outperform our own self-image and our own expectations and that our own expectations lie very much in our performance and the roles that we play and that's really important and and how that applies for teams too so I think we need to take time to think about that self-image that we have and what do we need to work on if we want to see a consistent improvement how is our self-image influencing that So I think just two really good takeaways of a lot of great stuff that Tom shared with us today. Thanks for listening to today's episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. It only takes a moment, but it makes a massive difference to the visibility of the show and how many people we can reach. You know, our mission is to help people develop the mental fitness that they can achieve more than they thought themselves capable of. So it would be great if you could do that. A big thanks to Charlotte Foster Podcast for her hard work on producing the show. You can connect with her on LinkedIn. And the music for the show is Where to Run by Strength to Last, created by the musical talents of Adrian Walther, a Canadian living in Nashville. Check out his music on Spotify and YouTube Music.